1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. At the heart of this special letter that God gave the Apostle Peter to give to these Hebrew believers is a truth that expresses to them a simple, provoking question. It asks, because you have been graciously given this gift of faith, and it has brought you to salvation, how then should you be living out your days on this earth? And that same question is being conveyed to you and me as we study these words. By the testimony of each of our mouths, we have each declared that we also are truly saved. That we have that same gracious gift of faith that these saints mentioned here in First and Second Peter, that they possess. And with all of that being so, then the question also stands before each of us. How then should we live out these remaining days that God has given to each of us? Now thankfully the answer to that question is given to us in the simple words here in verse 8. He tells us that we are to love one another deeply. We are to love one another so deeply because love has this mysterious ability to cover over a whole multitude of sins. But notice here that God first saw fit to preface these instructions about how we're to love each other with a strong sense of urgency and that prayer is to be an essential component of the love that we should have within us for others. He tells us, and listen to these words, this preface in verse 7, the end of all things is near. There's an urgency in those words. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Those beginning words, the end of all things is near. Those words, no doubt, probably seem strange to some people, especially those who would consider that almost 2,000 years have passed since God first gave them to Peter to write to these folks. And those words do have a strangeness, even confusing element to them. And we also, though, know that, and especially from other references to these words and to others like them, that we are not to take them simply as some form of metaphor. We often want to do that. But these words are actually literal very literal and actual. And they are intended to admonish us to live each day as if the end of all things is near. Because it is. But again, those words are somewhat confusing, especially for those that are not familiar, as I mentioned a moment ago, with other such references like them in these scriptures. And it seemed that that was so also for the same very people that we're first reading this letter. We understand that because later on in Peter's second letter, he explained more fully what these words were meant to convey. Turn with me, if you will, to Second Peter chapter 3. 
Second Peter chapter 3. And I want you to read along with me, beginning in verse 1 of Second Peter 3. Peter said to them, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is this promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Now that deluge that he's making reference to there is the days of Noah when they had a near end of all things. Verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Telling us there that there will be no more floods, but there will be fire. Fire beyond anything we can imagine. And that truly will be the final end of all things. But then listen now to these next words. They answer part of the question that we asked a moment ago. Verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Precious words. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Question again. Same question that we were asking earlier. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? Folks, in our naive human thinking, we try our best to rationalize God, to rationalize who He is, and we bring Him down, or we try to bring Him down to the same level as us, having the same manner of being and thinking as us. But that's just not so. So many of the other scriptures tell us that the mind of God and the things He does and His reasoning behind those things that He does so much more high and lofty and eternal than our meager minds can fathom. Our minds are just small, small, and easily confused and distracted. The simple truth is, God has a form of being that is not confined 
to the boundaries of nature as we are. Especially regarding time. Especially regarding time. To God, remember the words we just read. To God, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. God lives in what some have described as an ever-present now. An ever-present now. Existing within today. But also yesterday. And then also tomorrow. All at the same time. All at the same time. And He is fully able to easily and simply interact and engage in any one of those time frames at any one time or all at the same time. Simply put, God is now living in the day that He first gave these words to Peter. And He is also now living in this day, today. But He's also living in... In those very last days, those final days of human existence, when he will destroy this earth with fire and then remake this earth for its eternal existence. And no, I don't understand that. But I do accept it. And I do believe it. And I believe that we, you and I, must grab hold of and really understand that all this is true. And you and I need to really hear this warning that that those final moments can begin to take place at any moment. Right now. At this moment. Today. Or tonight. Or tomorrow. Or next week. But we are to know for sure that those days surely will come. God is God. And He has declared that they will. And He has warned us about them. But He's telling us here, now for these moments, for this while, He's withholding His almighty, His all-powerful, all-knowing hand. And though it might seem to you and me to have been a long, long time, and may still be a long, long time out in front of us, verse 9, the Lord is not slow. He is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, and listen why, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Folks, his reason for waiting so long is grace. Grace, pure and wonderful grace. And we ought to be ever so glad for it. Again, a statistic that's quoted out there that not half the people in the churches today are saved. They believe that they are, but they're not. They're listening to sermons all across our country, all across our world. But this is taking place. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise of coming as someone counts slowness. But He's being patient towards that 50% that is not saved. And then also others. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, grace. But then note also that He gives a stern warning in the next verse there, verse 10. That you and I must heed. We must heed this warning. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is a stern warning about a very real and catastrophic end that will come upon the earth and all the people that remain on it. 
And it will come suddenly, without warning, as a thief in the night. Those words again, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Folks, listen, on that great and terrible day, there will be no second chances. There will be no second chances. These days that we live in right now, these are the days of second chances. There will be no others. That's why God gives forth these next words. Verse 11, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Those words point us right back to the question that we asked at the beginning. And they tell us how then we should live. The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. That's how we should live. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. This is the answer. This is the answer to these, this question that's there in First Peter and in Second Peter. What sort of people ought you and I to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And notice that there's no third choice there. Holiness and godliness. He doesn't give us the privilege of having any other manner of living. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? You and I are to be clear-minded. We are to be self-controlled so that we can pray. And above all, that we are to love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Mm. I want you to listen again to the words of the text. And for the remainder of the time that we have today, I want us to take a simple and practical look at these words. How they instruct us clearly about how we ought to live out these remaining days on this earth. Beginning today and every day from this day forward. Again, we have to start with this Understanding that the end of all things is near. I confess to you that I am very much like those other words that we just got through reading there. Oh, it's been so long. We've been expecting Him yesterday and the day before. And I never got out on a mountaintop waiting on the Lord to come as did the Seventh-day Adventists, some of the other uh, groups. But I did expect the Lord to come lots of times. But I haven't recently. And I ought to. I ought to. You ought to. This is imminent. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Again, we're told because that end is really close. might take place at any moment. That you and I ought to be what? Clear-minded, sober-minded, not distracted. We're to be self-controlled. And the purpose for our being sober-minded and self-controlled is so that we can pray and so that we can love each other. There's a lot of other reasons for us to always be sober-minded and self-controlled. But here the Lord is being specific for this one purpose. First, that our prayers would not be hindered by a mind that is distracted and uncontrolled. By that, 
I understand that you and I usually just live through most of our day letting whatever happened happen and then trying to deal with it. That's not God's will. That is not God's will. You and I have to be forward thinkers. We have to have our life planned out in accordance with His will. We have to be forward thinkers, not just willing to accept whatever comes along and deal with it. Because that's when you're not going to know how to control yourself or the circumstances. Now you may say, well, but I think that I'm almost always clear and sober-minded, almost always self-controlled. But if you're anything like me, that's not true. And if you're anything like all the other people that you run into each day, that's not true. If you and I'll stop for a moment and remember the last time that we were in a crowd of people, in a mall or in a restaurant, even driving in traffic, we observed that a majority of the people were caught up in something in addition to the thing that they were immediately involved in. Most often these days it involves a cell phone or earphones or something like that. Now, yes, there are times when that's okay. But when you see five out of ten drivers with a cell phone in their ear, it means that their attention is divided. They're distracted. The simple fact is, the simple fact is, and by the way, you and I do the same thing. You and I do the same thing. The simple fact is a clear and sober mind, as spoken about here, can really only think about one thing at a time. It is impossible to multitask. I don't care what we hear on television. You do not multitask. The mind is only able to deal with one thing at a time, and if you add a second thing in there, you are divided, and you don't have the self-control that you're supposed to have. For myself, as I thought about the prayer time that he speaks about here, my mind wanders. Here God is saying, don't be preoccupied or distracted by those other things. Because when you do that, if you're praying, you've just shared that time that you're supposed to have with me with all those other wanderings of the mind. When I'm talking to God and my mind wanders, and it does often, I don't like that, but it does. I can imagine as he talks back to me what I must look like with my eyes wandering off to the side Or else maybe we're distracted by that alarm that just went off in our pocket about that text that just came in or that email. Here, God is saying to you and me, be intentional. Be intentional. When you're going to talk to me, leave the cell phone in the other room. Put your kids down for their nap or your grandkids. Get in the prayer closet where you can shut out those distractions so that you can not be hearing those noises from the outside. Be intentional. Be intentional. Let me talk with you, the Lord is saying, and you talk to me. Let's just have it between the two of us. Now next year in verse 8, God tells us, above all, Love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. And this word deeply is very important. What manner and level of love do you have for people? 
What manner of love, what level of love do you have for God? Is it deeply held love? Would it qualify for deeply? It's so very important to God that you and I love one another deeply. And that we express that love in a behavior that we have towards one another in all of those moments of our ordinary daily life. When Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was, He didn't hesitate for a moment. He says, from Deuteronomy 6, He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now that's deeply. And then He says, the next, He says, that is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is anyone that is around you. They may be friends, family. They may be strangers, co-workers where you work. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He says if you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you will love others, then everything else that is written in the law and written in the prophets will be taken care of. You and I need to grasp that. The most important thing that you and I will ever do is to love the Lord our God intimately and personally with all of our heart. And then he says right up close to that in importance, you and I have to turn and love everyone around us with that same fervor that we love ourselves. And then I love the words of John 13 verses 34 and 35. Jesus elevated that love one more step higher. He decided that you and I ought to love each other the way He loves us. Listen to these words, John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Folks, if we can grab hold of and have this measure of love, then all the fussing and fighting and disagreeing and all of the world will go away. And especially within families, within love relationships especially, within friendship relationships. There would be no more arguing. There would be no more divorce. There would be no more broken hearts beating within the breasts of our children. Love. Real and genuine agape love wipes away a whole multitude of sins. As a matter of fact, real and genuine agape love is so forgiving that it is often that offense will not even be taken when words are misspoken or even intentionally unkind. But love will somehow get out in front of those words and take away the sting and give forgiveness ahead of time. Love has that ability, the Lord tells us here, to wash away and erase even the worst of offenses. And God wants you and me, His beloved sons and daughters, to have it and to show it and to show it exactly as He shows it. And that's the answer to our questions that we've asked here. How then should we live these remaining days of our lives? 
We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. And we're to love each other deeply. The end of all things is near, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Let's pray.